My name is Maureen Brown, and it's a privilege to be with you here this morning with this next part of our series in our Storyline series. <clears throat> We're talking about God's big story. His grand story, and we're taking it in segments from Genesis to Revelation. And each week we'll be focusing on one of those pieces because it's important to know the whole story, not just portions or pieces. So I love this series. However, with as uh, Dawn introduced today, um, it's kind of a heavy week. And so last week, Bruce um, started off the series with creation, and this week, the segment that we're talking about is brokenness. And I, I see that that's kind of fitting for where we're at, because there is hope in this brokenness, and I pray that that's where we get to this morning. Because when we just take portions and pieces of the gospel story, or of any story, we get into trouble. We can't just take that one portion and have it fit for our current situation. And we can't just have that one piece of the story and have it not fit for someone else's current situation. Our view becomes contorted if we just have one narrow piece or one verse that happens to work. But this can happen in any story. An example, when our children were young, we lived on a farm. We lived on a farm and we grain farmed and we cattle farmed. We raised cattle. And so we have three children, Lance, Regan, and Chanel. They're all grown and they're adults now, but when they were little, we were on this farm. And um, one time when Lance was little, he was out at the barn working with his dad and with his grandpa, and then all of a sudden, he came running to the house, and he was so upset. He was crying and saying, Mom, you've got to come. You've got to come. Now, let me tell you what happened at the barn first, and then I'll tell you Lance's piece and part in view of the story. So what had happened at the barn and in the barnyard is Grandpa had slipped and fallen. And the bull had got kind of agitated because of that, and so my husband Elmer had taken a fence post just to keep the bull away while Grandpa got back up. But from Lance's perspective and why he came running and why I needed to come help, because he said, the bull is mad and Dad is mad and Dad took a fence post and hit Grandpa over the head. <laughs> that was his piece of the story. From his view, that's what he saw. One little piece that was kind of contorted. So we need to know the whole story. But there are certain chapters in the Bible that speak volumes about human beings throughout all generations. And I believe that we have one of those chapters this morning. Chapter 3 in Genesis. This part of God's story is one that impacts how we read the rest of the story. We need to know this part to understand the others. Before the events in Genesis chapter 3, humanity is walking with God in obedience, 
an intimate relationship, but that changes. Bruce started us off last week asking us to think of each part of the story of God as invitations, where Jesus is standing at the door and knocking on your life, inviting you to consider entering the story. And sadly, today, I think we will have that opportunity to enter into the story of brokenness and see ourselves in this story. Some of you know the story of, uh, that I'm going to be talking about. It's called the fall in the Bible. So if you look in Genesis chapter 3, it'll say the fall. So last week, creation. Bruce reminded us that God created mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. And God saw them and said, this is very good. This is very good. And Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it, and the Lord God commanded them. One thing. He said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, and if you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, with kids, when I'm telling children this story, because I used to serve in children's ministry and I still look for any opportunity to be with kids because I think they can teach us so much about faith, I read that verse... And then I often go off stage and do this. Adam, Adam, I just want to say, I'm not sure why we always use an apple. It says fruit, but we tend to use an apple. So, Adam, Adam, look, 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 Adam, look. Eve, did you? Did you eat from that tree? Eve, did you eat? No, Adam, look. Oh, it's so good. It was so wonderful, Adam. Eve, we're not supposed to do that. That's the one thing we're not supposed to do. Oh, Adam, try it. Smell it. Adam, try it. It's so good. It's so great. And they both eat. And then I look like a fearful face because they hear something. What was that? What was that? I think it's God, Adam. I think it's Run, Eve. We've got to hide. We've got to hide. Ah! And I leave the stage completely bare, and it's awkward, and it's silent, and it's quiet, and the kids are kind of going, what's happening? I don't like this part of the story, and I don't really like that part of the story either, but this disobedience is known as the fall, but there's another word for it, and we maybe don't like this other word. We don't like to talk about this a lot. But we need to talk about it, and that's sin. We need to call it what it was, and we need to call it what it is. Because that sin had devastating consequences for all of creation. There was separation, there was death, there was pain, destruction, and suffering. And that affects every human being who came after them, including us. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And because of this, we see brokenness in four primary relationships that we were actually created for. And this brokenness happened then, and it actually can be so real in our lives now, apart from Jesus. So Adam and Eve were hiding when God got back to the garden. And God said, where were you? Kind of like, what were you doing? Why didn't you meet me like normal? 
And Adam and Eve said, or Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So our four primary relationships that are broken, here's the first one. Our relationship with God. Intimacy is replaced with fear. They had a fear of God. The second thing that happened here is our relationship with self. Because Adam and Eve now felt shame. They'd never felt that before, and they probably didn't know what it was, but just something felt so ugly and so wrong. And so they became aware of this new nature. We call it now sin nature, but they just became aware that they felt separated, and they were ashamed. Brené Brown, a researcher in the University of Houston, describes shame as this, an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Oh, that's a horrible place to be. The third relationship that is broken was our relationship with others because blame takes the place of trust. Because the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. And then when God asked the woman, Eve says, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. We blame God, the woman you put here, and we blame others, serpent or others. Now, Adam and Eve's biggest mistake, believe it or not, was not that they disobeyed. Because you know what? We do fall into those things even when we're trying. We fall in. That wasn't their biggest mistake, but their biggest mistake, and often ours, was that they weren't honest. They didn't confess. They were trying to hide, and they were trying to blame others for what was going on for them. And maybe today, that's the message that some of us need to hear. I'm not honest with myself right now, and I'm not honest with God. And I'm trying to hide, and I'm actually really trying to blame. The fourth relationship was a relationship with creation. Because now God cursed the ground, and then he talks about pain in childbirth. So there would be pain in childbirth, back-breaking work, and death. God's creation was perfect, but brokenness entered the world. You know, there are so many instances of us experiencing and perpetuating brokenness in our relationship with creation. And I just want to talk about some that feel light, maybe, things that we joke about, maybe. But I've had reason in the last couple of weeks to actually question myself and how I talk about that. And it was something, again, from uh, my son Lance and a conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things is what the power in our words when we talk about creation. We might say, Oh, I hate it when the leaves fall off the trees. I just hate that. Actually, what are we kind of saying there? God created seasons, and I'm hating it. Now, I get this one when we say, I hate the snow. I get that. But I also want to say, this last week, for any of you that had children, when that snow came, some of them said, I hope it stays. We maybe didn't, but they had such joy in that, they were hoping that it would stay. But Lance is fortunate, and I'm so thankful that each of uh, our family have, have had incredible mentors in their life. 
and just people that come close and that you get into a relationship with. And, you know, there's such a relationship with this mentor. We, we call it mentoring. We can call it discipling. We can call it those things. But those people that can speak into your life at places where others can't because you have that relationship together. So Lance was sharing something that one of his mentors had said to him that actually really hit me. And he said, one time this mentor said to him, you know, Lance, can I just challenge you with something that I often hear you say? And, you know, that's a scary thing to say yes to, but when you have relationship, you do want to know. And he went on to say, you just said it again, and you said, there's not enough hours in the day. And then he said this, God actually made the day perfect. We can be the people that make the day perfect not perfect. There are enough perfect hours in the day. That challenged me too in how many times I've got myself into a place where I'm blaming God for something that is actually a a situation in the brokenness or sometimes even in my own choices for that day. So the story of human brokenness continues. In Genesis chapter 4, we go into the story of Cain and Abel. These are the sons of Adam and Eve. There's so much brokenness there that actually one brother kills the other. We go into chapter 5, and we have a long list of ancestors from Adam to Noah. And in Noah's time, there was such incredible brokenness that there was a great flood. Noah and his family were saved because they were righteous. And after the flood, God populated the earth again with descendants from Noah's family. But once again, we see the rise of these descendants moving away from God. And in Genesis 11:4, they say to themselves, Come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And the Lord stopped that, confused their languages so they couldn't understand each other. In the Bible, it's called the Tower of Babel. They scattered them. They stopped building the monument to themselves. Now, just make sure that we don't hear this wrong. It's not that great achievements are wrong. Because they're good when we strive to do things and do things well. It's good to be successful and have business go well, those kind of things. It's not that they're wrong. But when we use them to give us identity and self-worth, they take God's place in our lives. And so that's what happened there. So I look back and I think, how did this start? How did it start for Adam and Eve? How did it start for all those other others that I've just talked about falling away? And how does it start for us? And so looking back to verse 3, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? So the first step was he planted doubt. He said, did God actually say it that way? Did he really mean that? Was that the context it was in? Or is that just the way you're reading it? Or the way you maybe heard him? So that doubt is planted. In verse 4, he says, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Almost like it's a good thing. But the truth is that that verse was actually a lie, a complete lie. The doubt was planted, and then Satan was able to go in with a complete lie. So he planted and succeeded with doubt and moved in for the kill with a lie. How often 
Do we have doubt planted in our mind and then something moves in and kills with a lie? You know, really, I think of Satan as the first bad Bible interpreter. He interpreted what God said for his own purposes. How often do maybe we interpret what God said and twist it just a little bit for our own purposes? Ephesians 6.16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, we need to know God's word. We need to know the whole story, not just bits and pieces. We need to know God's story and then our story fits into God's story, not the other way around. If we take our story and try and make God's story fit into it, it will never work. But you know, I can't speak on a message on the fall, on brokenness, without talking about God's plan of redemption because he already had it in his mind. He knew the plan of redemption. And so I love the book of Romans, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And here's why I love it. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he had a great encounter himself. You may have heard of it, the road to Damascus, where he was, he was someone that killed Christians. And he, because of his experience with God, he turned to someone that would tell, share the gospel with anyone that would listen. He started churches all over, and he visited churches, and he was just um, this incredible apostle. But the letter to the church in Rome is interesting because Paul didn't start the church in Rome. The church in Rome, they were going, they were started, but Paul was writing letters, wanted to encourage them. So one thing we notice a little bit different about, the, about Romans, other than maybe Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those are other story, uh, books and letters he wrote to um, the church, but the different thing about the church in Rome, he hadn't been there. He'd never been to the church in Rome. He wanted to go there so badly because he heard of how they were following Jesus, but he hadn't been there. So his letter was not only an encouragement, but he wanted to make sure they knew and were following the entire gospel. So we have the whole gospel laid out so well in the book of Romans. And you know, in our Sask MB conference, um, we are looking to engage in something similar for our churches. You may have heard of it, and I hope that you will heard of, hear of it in the future. It's something called the SaskMB Common Understandings and Common Covenant Document. And it's a document that churches are going to look at just to help us remember that we're followers of Jesus and that Jesus is the center of everything. It's a reminder of the core beliefs we hold, and it's an encouragement to stay the course. So in Romans, Paul reminds the church in Rome of the gospel message. And sometimes it's been called the Romans road to salvation. It's a good, it's a good handle for a name for it. I want to share three verses from Romans that actually say the gospel. Romans 3.23 deals with our human condition and says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 actually says what it is, for the wages of sin is death. But God's provision and solution, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel in its simplest, clearest form. We can be right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. We can be justified by faith. That's a hard word, but when I share that with kids, I say justified. It's just as if 
you never sinned. Justified. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Oh, that verse makes me want to say, hey, I am. Mean, even in this past week, as a community, we've had trouble. Don mentioned it. We've had trouble. We've had loss. Ryan Van E on Friday. Derek Oatway. But I know that those are people that we all know, so we share them here. But across this sanctuary and online, I know you have your own trouble. You are experiencing your own grief and loss about things that maybe you haven't had an opportunity to share in this community because it's a part of your life that not everyone knows. Or it's a part of people that you know that not everyone knows. So we've had this. We've had this loss. And there might be anxiousness about where we are as a church. There's also heaviness and fatigue around the pandemic at times. And sometimes it just feels like it's too much. But John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Amen. The world is full of people with broken hearts, broken spirits, and broken relationships. But Jesus has overcome the world. So we can talk about brokenness, we can talk about the fall, but we have victory in the cross. Jesus has overcome that. That is why a young mother on Friday afternoon can stand up with her arms raised, praising God at her husband's funeral with three little ones by her side. Because Jesus has overcome the world. There has been a heaviness, but we can't stay there. Supernaturally, we can carry on. A very good friend of mine came into my office this week and said something that she doesn't actually know how much it impacted me. I treasure this friendship. She speaks into my life often in supernatural ways, and God uses her. And, and I think she thinks it's just something she's being obedient to, and I don't know if this will help, but it hits me and speaks to me deeply. And this is what she said. Maureen, I feel this week that I was supposed to pray resurrection power over your life. Who doesn't want to hear someone say, I'm praying resurrection power over your life? Because I needed that, and I felt that. And when she said it, something broke, and there was like resurrection power over my life. There's a brokenness, but we need to remember Jesus has overcome the world. So now I'm saying to you, you have access to that resurrection power over your life. So when something feels so heavy and you think, how can I ever get through this? We need to remember, we have access to that resurrection power. Jesus has overcome the world, and we have a message of hope. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In the midst of that brokenness, our eyes are open to truth. And we begin to see the hand of God binding up that which was broken. It can happen. We can have hope. We can live with resurrection power. We have access to that as followers of Jesus. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's something about reaching a breaking point that causes us to seek the Lord more authentically and sincerely than we have before. And as I close, I'd just like to close with this. Though it's hard to say, I guess that is why it's been said that there can be beauty in our brokenness. It doesn't always make it easier, necessarily, 
But the Lord is not only close to the brokenhearted, he wants to heal the brokenhearted, and he wants to bind up their wounds. So I close with a couple questions before I go to pray. What do you need to be honest with God about today? Maybe it's what are you trying to hide or blame someone else for? But also, what do you need to say, Lord, I need you to be close. I need you to heal this. I need you to heal and bind this up for me because I can't go on without you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you so much that I know I would never speak or preach if I, if I didn't know that you, Holy Spirit, are the one that does the real work. And so there's messages all across the sanctuary and online, Lord, for those that are listening. As you are ministering and people are bringing things to you, maybe getting honest with some brokenness or honest with some stuff that's going on in their life. So Lord, I just pray that we would pay attention to what you want to do and respond in how you want us to respond. Thank you, Lord, that in this world we'll have trouble, but you say you have overcome the world. We pray and ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen.